Section eighteen of Confessions, Volumes one and two. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen. Confessions, Volumes one and two, by Jean Jacques Rousseau. Anonymously translated. Section eighteen. Madame de Vercellis never addressed a word to me which seemed to express affection, pity, or benevolence. She interrogated me coldly, and my answers were uttered with so much timidity that she doubtless entertained but a mean opinion of my intellects, for latterly she never asked me any questions nor said anything but what was absolutely necessary for her service. She drew her judgment less from what I really was than from what she had made me, and by considering me as a footman prevented my appearing otherwise. I am inclined to think I suffered at that time by the same interested game of concealed manoeuvre which has counteracted me throughout my life, and given me a very natural aversion for everything that has the least appearance of it. Madame de Vercellis having no children, her nephew, the Comte de la Roque, was her heir and paid his court assiduously, as did her principal domestics, who, seeing her end approaching, endeavoured to take care of themselves. In short, so many were busy about her that she could hardly have found time to think of me. At the head of her household was a Monsieur Lorenzi, an artful genius, with a still more artful wife, who had so far insinuated herself into the good graces of her mistress, that she was rather on the footing of a friend than a servant. She had introduced a niece of hers as lady's maid. Her name was Mademoiselle Pontal, a cunning gipsy that gave herself all the airs of a waiting-woman, and assisted her aunt so well in besetting the countess that she only saw with their eyes and acted through their hands i had not the happiness to please this worthy triumvirate i obeyed but did not wait on them not conceiving that my duty to our general mistress required me to be a servant to her servants. Besides this, I was a person that gave them some inquietude. They saw I was not in my proper situation, and feared the Countess would discover it likewise, and by placing me in it decrease their portions. For such sort of people, too greedy to be just, look on every legacy given to others as a diminution of their own wealth. They endeavoured, therefore, to keep me as much out of her sight as possible. She loved to write letters in her situation, 
but they contrived to give her a distaste to it persuading her by the aid of the doctor that it was too fatiguing and under pretence that i did not understand how to wait on her they employed two great lubberly chairmen for that purpose in a word they managed the affair so well that for eight days before she made her will i had not been permitted to enter the chamber afterwards i went in as usual and was even more assiduous than any one being afflicted at the sufferings of the unhappy lady whom i truly respected and beloved for the calmness and fortitude with which she bore her illness and often did i shed tears of real sorrow without being perceived by any one at length we lost her i saw her expire she had lived like a woman of sense and virtue her death was that of a philosopher i can truly say she rendered the catholic religion amiable to me by the serenity with which she fulfilled its dictates without any mixture of negligence or affectation she was naturally serious but towards the end of her illness she possessed a kind of gaiety too regular to be assumed which served as a counterpoise to the melancholy of her situation she only kept her bed two days continuing to discourse cheerfully with those about her to the very last she had bequeathed a year's wages to all the under-servants but not being on the household list i had nothing the comte de la roque however ordered me thirty livres and the new coat i had on which monsieur lorenzi would certainly have taken from me he even promised to procure me a place giving me permission to wait on him as often as i pleased accordingly i went two or three times without being able to speak to him and as i was easily repulsed returned no more whether i did wrong will be seen hereafter would i had finished what i had to say of my living at madame de vercellis's though my situation apparently remained the same i did not leave her house as i had entered it i carried with me the long and painful remembrance of a crime an insupportable weight of remorse which yet hangs on my conscience and whose bitter recollection far from weakening during a period of forty years seems to gather strength as i grow old who would believe that a childish fault should be productive of such melancholy consequences but it is for the more than probable effects that my heart cannot be consoled i have perhaps caused an amiable honest estimable girl who surely merited a better fate than myself to perish with shame and misery 
though it is very difficult to break up housekeeping without confusion and the loss of some property yet such was the fidelity of the domestics and the vigilance of monsieur and madame lorenzy that no article of the inventory was found wanting in short nothing was missing but a pink and silver ribbon which had been worn and belonged to mademoiselle pontal though several things of more value were in my reach this ribbon alone tempted me and accordingly i stole it as i took no great pains to conceal the bauble it was soon discovered they immediately insisted on knowing from whence i had taken it this perplexed me i hesitated and at length said with confusion that marion gave it to me marion was a young moriennese and had been cook to madame de vercellis ever since she left off giving entertainments for being sensible she had more need of good broths than fine ragouts she had discharged her former one marion was not only pretty but had that freshness of colour only to be found among the mountains and above all an air of modesty and sweetness which made it impossible to see her without affection she was besides a good girl virtuous and of such strict fidelity that every one was surprised at hearing her named they had not less confidence in me and judged it necessary to certify which of us was the thief marion was sent for a great number of people were present among whom was the comte de la roque she arrives they show her the ribbon i accuse her boldly she remains confused and speechless casting a look on me that would have disarmed a demon but which my barbarous heart resisted at length she denied it with firmness but without anger exhorting me to return to myself and not injure an innocent girl who had never wronged me with infernal impudence i confirmed my accusation and to her face maintained she had given me the ribbon on which the poor girl bursting into tears said these words ah rousseau i thought you a good disposition you render me very unhappy but i would not be in your situation she continued to defend herself with as much innocence as firmness but without uttering the least invective against me her moderation compared to my positive tone did her an injury as it did not appear natural to suppose on one side such diabolical assurance on the other such angelic mildness 
the affair could not be absolutely decided but the presumption was in my favour and the comte de la roque in sending us both away contented himself with saying the conscience of the guilty would revenge the innocent his prediction was true and is being daily verified i am ignorant what became of the victim of my calumny but there is little probability of her having been able to place herself agreeably after this as she laboured under an imputation cruel to her character in every respect the theft was a trifle yet it was a theft and what was worse employed to seduce a boy while the lie and obstinacy left nothing to hope from a person in whom so many vices were united i do not even look on the misery and disgrace in which i plunged her as the greatest evil who knows at her age whither contempt and disregarded innocence might have led her alas if remorse for having made her unhappy is insupportable what must i have suffered at the thought of rendering her even worse than myself the cruel remembrance of this transaction sometimes so troubles and disorders me that in my disturbed slumbers i imagine i see this poor girl enter and reproach me with my crime as though i had committed it but yesterday while in easy tranquil circumstances i was less miserable on this account but during a troubled agitated life it has robbed me of the sweet consolation of persecuted innocence and made me woefully experience what i think i have remarked in some of my works that remorse sleeps in the calm sunshine of prosperity but wakes amid the storms of adversity i could never take on me to discharge my heart of this weight in the bosom of a friend nor could the closest intimacy ever encourage me to it even with madame de varens all i could do was to own i had to accuse myself of an atrocious crime but never said in what it consisted the weight therefore has remained heavy on my conscience to this day and i can truly own the desire of relieving myself in some measure from it contributed greatly to the resolution of writing my confessions i have proceeded truly in that i have just made and it will certainly be thought i have not sought to palliate the turpitude of my offence but i should not fulfil the purpose of this undertaking did i not at the same time divulge my interior disposition and excuse myself as far as is conformable with truth 
never was wickedness further from my thoughts than in that cruel moment and when i accused the unhappy girl it is strange but strictly true that my friendship for her was the immediate cause of it she was present to my thoughts i formed my excuse from the first object that presented itself i accused her with doing what i meant to have done and as i designed to have given her the ribbon asserted she had given it to me when she appeared my heart was agonized but the presence of so many people was more powerful than my compunction i did not fear punishment but i dreaded shame i dreaded it more than death more than the crime more than all the world i would have buried hid myself in the centre of the earth invincible shame bore down every other sentiment shame alone caused all my impudence and in proportion as i became criminal the fear of discovery rendered me intrepid i felt no dread but that of being detected of being publicly and to my face declared a thief liar and calumniator an unconquerable fear of this overcame every other sensation had i been left to myself i should infallibly have declared the truth or if m de la roque had taken me aside and said do not injure this poor girl if you are guilty own it i am convinced i should instantly have thrown myself at his feet but they intimidated instead of encouraging me i was hardly out of my childhood or rather was yet in it it is also just to make some allowance for my age in youth dark premeditated villainy is more criminal than in a riper age but weaknesses are much less so my fault was truly nothing more and i am less afflicted at the deed itself than for its consequences it had one good effect however in preserving me through the rest of my life from any criminal action from the terrible impression that has remained from the only one i ever committed and i think my aversion for lying proceeds in a great measure from regret at having been guilty of so black a one if it is a crime that can be expiated as i dare believe forty years of uprightness and honour on various difficult occasions with the many misfortunes that have overwhelmed my latter years may have completed it poor marion has found so many avengers in this world that however great my offence towards her i do not fear to bear the guilt with me 
thus have i disclosed what i had to say on this painful subject may i be permitted never to mention it again end of section 18 recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey End of Confessions, Volumes 1 and 2 by Jean-Jacques Rousseau